I just sat through your anti-relational voicemail because I have the best news ever. I'm doing a podcast. Oh my goodness, I'm dying right now. It's called Recovering. Okay, bye. Give me your strength and show me your weakness. We're in this together now. We're in this together now. Give me your love and tell me your secrets. Cause we're in this together now. Yeah, we're in this together now. We are back. Another episode of Recovering. So today we are going to be talking about meetings again, but we're going to be talking about what makes a good meeting. So last episode, we just talked about meetings in general, why they're important, basically central to the recovery movement, what happens in the room when we gather and we're real, uh, that transformative intimacy. Um, And today we're going to talk about what makes that more likely to happen. Uh, because there are these ways that we can derail that. So I have been participating in meetings for nine years now, and I've experienced great meetings. I've experienced not so great meetings. I've coached people on how to have better meetings within my own faith communities. I've had to learn a lot, and these are just good reminders for me anyway. So the outline is modeling, honor, practice, respect, contribution, birds and turtles, and the magic word. And I'm very excited about the magic word because I am just putting a magic word into this podcast. I don't know if I'm ever going to do it again. We'll never know, but I'm putting it into this one and I want to give a prize for whoever knows the magic word because like, isn't that more fun? That's more fun. That is one of the things I wish other people would do in their podcast and it's mine. So that's what I get to do. Um, so what makes a good meeting? And first of all, I mean, who is this for really? Like who is going to be listening to this? You know, because some people are already going to meetings and they're in recovery. Some people may not want to go to meetings. So it was important to me to communicate who I think, um, this particular episode especially is for. So if you are somebody who is already in recovery, um, and you like what you're experiencing in recovery, but you just want to deepen your recovery, I think that this will be a good deep dive into reminding yourself what makes for a good meeting. Um, You may also already be in recovery, but want to go deeper in your own recovery journey. So there have been several people that have found my work that have said, yes, I like that I'm staying sober, or I like that I've been able to recover in, you know, my SLAA meetings, et cetera. But I have these deeper questions and they're questions about life and purpose and maybe even what happens after you die or I've always wanted to read the Bible, but I never really felt like I could or I belonged or that I made the time. All these kinds of deeper spiritual questions that people ask, humans have been asking them forever and ever. Um, So if that's your experience, even if you're in recovery already, this could be helpful for you. Either having better recovery meetings that you're already in, or potentially being part of a bigger recovery movement in terms of your overall true self. 
If you're somebody who has nothing to do with recovery, but you're somebody who's been part of church or faith groups or some sort of religious tradition, this could help you discover how to have gatherings that are more meaningful and deeper. So often people will find the work that I'm doing because whatever's happening in traditional church just isn't working for them anymore. And so they want a new way to experience faith and spiritual intimacy even, but they're not really sure how. And um, there are many church planters out there that are trying to plant new forms of church. But when I discover them, really they're still a, a large part like other churches. They have the same structure in terms of like there's a leader who's the expert. It's sort of this like, you know, triangle type structure where they're at the top and then everybody comes and just listens and like downloads whatever that information is. Um, And yeah, maybe they're meeting in other environments, but the principles are still the same. And so these principles I'm going to give you today kind of fly in the face of some of that. So it makes it different and new and fresh and it works. It's working for many, many people. Um, you may also be somebody who actually really likes your church and you like going there. And that's happened too when people have still found my work and they still enjoy it because they may want these principles more for like a small group. So they don't necessarily want to change how they gather on a Sunday, but they may want to have a small group that is um, a place where people can be more real, but they're not exactly sure how to do that. So this could help. Um, And the last group of people that have found me and that have enjoyed some of what I'm doing and found benefit to that are people who are, I would say, spiritually curious or maybe even just recovery curious. And so they want to grow and change and maybe even heal. Um, But again, not really sure how. Maybe they don't have an identifiable addiction. Maybe they have friends in recovery and they've seen their friends' lives change a lot, but they don't know if they would really belong or what to do or where to go. So keep listening. You might find something here. Um, And even if it's something where people want to do a book that isn't necessarily recovery-oriented, like if you wanted to do a book club or something like that or a, a meeting around a book, Um, book club just sounds kind of, you know what I mean? Sort of surfacey, but it doesn't have to be. Um, but let's say you want to do like a Brené Brown book or something like that with some of the people that you know, like work colleagues or friends or neighbors or something. Um, you could do like a pop-up group for four weeks. And so what would be the components that would be meaningful to experiencing what we talked about last episode, which is that koinonia, that real deep fellowship and transformative intimacy. Here's what I think. So first of all, I think the most important thing that any of us can do if we want to have people gather and be real together is if we're the facilitator or the leader um, and we are starting the group, we will probably need to be the first person that shares. And when we share we need to model what we hope to see in other people. So if I want people to get real, I have to model that for them. Now, the exception to this is if other people that are coming to the group already have been part of other groups, they know how to share in a real way, you've talked with them before, you can call on them to be some of the first shares. Uh, But if you're starting a brand new group and people haven't been able to do that, you have to be willing to be as real as possible. 
So there's this principle in 12 step that is like based on a three minute share and we spend one minute on the problem and two on the solution. So we don't just talk about our problems because it isn't this like complaining group. We don't just talk about, oh, this is what works in recovery and this is what works in recovery because that is kind of like denial. It's almost like where you have to be too positive all the time. Like, I don't know if you've ever been part of a group like that. I know for myself in my own journey, I've been part of Christian groups like that. And all people can ever do is like keep a smile on their face. And it's like really scary, actually. Sometimes when I walk into churches, it feels like that because like everybody in the office is smiling and happy and everything's great and it just feels fake. So um, what are you struggling with? What's really going on? And then how are you applying the principles of what you're studying in that book to try to grow and heal and change? That's the solution. Um, So another thing that you don't want to do as well is you don't want to just talk about the book. So the real trap in having groups like this is we will have something that we read or, or a video people watch or something like that. And then they'll talk about what they heard, kind of more like from a knowledge perspective. Like what I thought about what Brené Brown said is blah, 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 blah. Not interesting. So how did what she said affect you this week? Like what happened and what sort of went wrong? And like, how did you apply things to help it go a bit more right? Uh, Maybe it all went wrong and that's just your real share that it was all crap and that's okay. Um, but that would be another trap to avoid is just don't talk about the subject. And this is really hard to do. Like sometimes I even have to coach, you know, Q faith community groups on this because it's just very, very natural, especially if people have a church background. Um, like it would be so natural for people to like, listen to this podcast as a group, the episode, and then talk about what they think about what I said rather than like what's happening for them internally. So that's my first most important piece is try to share in a really real way. So if I was going to share, um, I tried to think about this. I thought that would be something good that I could do in this episode is like try to actually do a share. And it's a little bit different for me right now because I'm not sitting in a meeting and I haven't, you know, had the moment of silence, listened to the value statements and really got myself into that place where I'm more open to share in that way because sometimes when other people have already shared something it triggers thoughts in me etc but you know I'll take my best stab at it so if it came to me to share um and somebody said Jen would you like to share I would if it was a Q meeting I would say hi my name is Jen and I'm powerless over the lie um and I would say that where I'm at right now is um I had a really difficult day yesterday I was in a meeting with two men that were kind of doing this crazy making thing with me where they were trying to convince me something that I just didn't in my gut feel was true or right. And I knew it was happening, um, but I felt very alone because there was two of them and one of me. And I got off the phone and I felt really, um, really bad and I was about to cry and really bothered by that. Um, And then I also had some other really difficult interactions yesterday. I had quite a few of them. And I, um, I just felt kind of like, gosh, you know, is this what it's like interacting with people? Like, 
I'm, you know, I just get rattled really easily. I'm very sensitive still. And just hearing some of the things that my one friend was saying, she's doing all this like sexual exploration stuff with random people and she feels that it's really the right path but it just seemed kind of potentially scary um and there's just a few things like that and so um I had to dig in to my recovery so when I got off the one meeting um I called somebody I picked up the 100 pound phone and I talked about what I was going through and I tried to be real and the person was very safe And they helped me a lot. And I was so grateful for that. Then when these interactions happened later in my day, I um, again picked up the phone. Um, But this time I was reminded of the principle in this path that it's not all about me. And so I asked the person how their day was going, but I really meant it. And I could tell that something was bothering them. And so I just gave them room to share And I really was reminded of a few principles that have helped me. So I was able to just listen and talk about a few ideas without being really aggressive. Um, But it was nice to feel that recovery flowing through me to be able to help them. And then um, that really unlocked a few things for me. And then I had a service position last night that I'm part of in recovery. And so being of service, uh, again, just really got me out of my own head and and set me free. And so I um, was super grateful for that. And I woke up today just in a much better place. And um, yeah, I'm feeling free and great in my recovery today. So I'm really thankful for that. Thanks for letting me share. So I don't know how long that was. Maybe that was about three minutes, Um, but that's what a share would sound like. So the great thing about recovery is that it doesn't have to be planned. Like if I would have been listening to other people sharing before I shared and trying to plan and think about what I was going to say, that just isn't good. I, I should be listening to the other people. So what I loved about when I first entered into this path is like I would show up, I would have no makeup on, like I would just, you know, just come as I was. People didn't expect a lot from me and they just wanted me to try to tell the truth. And so that's what I just tried to do with you. That's the best stab I could have it, kind of where I'm at my recovery journey. So you can do the same thing. And it might feel a little weird, especially if the people around you aren't used to it. I know that when I first started Q meetings and I would share like that, people would be like a little bit shocked, right? Uh, but then they they followed suit, right? So you're modeling what you want to see in other people um, rather than just talking about being honest. Okay, moving on. Second thing, what is your structure going to be for these meetings? So that's probably like first things first, you got to figure that out. But the reason I put the modeling honesty thing is because I think that's the most important. So that's why I said it first. But you're going to need to decide what the structure is for these meetings. Because in last episode, we talked about it's like, it's not really a meeting without a structure. Um, So what we did when we first started gathering is the original people gathering came up with this value statement. And the value statement has evolved. um, So that can evolve over time. We only make changes based on group conscience. I love that about 12 step is that it's not just a leader deciding anything, but decisions are based on the group conscience. Um, And sometimes that means the whole group has to agree. That's usually where we get to. I've heard sometimes group conscience means that if the, you know, majority kind of rules, then some people, their idea doesn't move forward. So you'll have to decide that as well. Uh, But the great thing is either way, it's not just one leader making decisions for everybody and kind of like a dictator. 
So um, I thought it might be meaningful to actually read our value statement for Q Faith Community in case you've never seen it or heard it so that you can understand what I'm saying. And um, this is read at the beginning of every single Q meeting. And in AA or other um, recovery meetings, they have documents that they read at the beginning as well. So we have a preamble that we read at every meeting that starts. Uh, we start every meeting with a moment of silence, then do the preamble. Then we have the value statement. If it's a step meeting, so we have different formats in recovery, but if it's a step meeting, we'll read the steps. And then we close with a few, like a reading and a prayer sort of a thing. So there's this structure that holds everything together. And when I was first in recovery, I, when I had to listen to these documents every single meeting, I felt bored. I felt really, like, really, are we going to read this again? Like, I get it already. Um, and now I like, am, I love it. I'm so glad that however the spirit moved to help people think of something like that, I think that it's why it works. I think that that's why the meetings work and why they carry on and continue. And there is this rule that happens. Well, it's not really a rule. My friend calls it the 72-hour rule. And I don't know how many people believe in that. But there's this basic thing that happens when we're recovering that we forget. It's like a disease of forgetting. So you might have experienced that with one of these podcasts. Like you might hear something and it might be clear and you might go, yeah, like I am totally going to be real. Like I'm going to try this and et cetera. But then, you know, a day passes, two days pass, three days passes. And then all of a sudden you're like not doing it, right? You kind of slip back into those old patterns. So um, because of the 72 hour rule, because of this rule that we'll forget, we need to be reminded. That's one of the reasons that we gather is to remind each other. So these statements really help remind us. So you can settle in wherever you are. If you're riding your bike, just pedal along. If you're driving, just settle in. But it's really nice sometimes just to get to sit and listen to these statements when I'm there at a meeting. So this is a Q value statement. The only requirement for attendance at Q is a desire to experience spiritual awakening and to respect our values. Here are Q's evolving values that were originally laid out at our first meeting, June 3rd, 2012. One, we value asking questions, wonder, and the mystery of the divine rather than pretending we have all the answers. Two, we value focusing on our own weakness rather than judging others. Jesus said to take the plank out of our own eye before helping our brother with a speck in their own. Three, we value authenticity and sharing honestly about our own experiences. Four, we value freedom. This includes freedom to say yes or no, and freedom from the lie. Five, we value justice and taking a stand against oppression. Q is committed to being a safe place for everyone. Six, we value being accountable and totally transparent with the funds we receive, only desiring to pay the bills and help others. Seven, we value becoming a generous people because we want to care for each other and those in need. Finances are one indicator of our generosity, as are offerings of heart, ear, possessions, practical service, and inviting others to share in the goodness of the spirit that invites us. Eight, we value commitment because to stay spiritually healthy, we need these gatherings and because others need us to show up for them. Nine, we value dependence on God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus as we understand them, 
as well as on each other. At Q, help is not a four-letter word. 10, we value the Bible as holy and baptism and communion as expressions of divine experiences. 11, we hold unity in high regard and believe that learning to love, learning to speak the truth in love, and remaining committed in spite of our struggles is what true community is all about. 12, we also like to joke and have fun and try not to take ourselves too seriously, and we may occasionally swear. We understand that because we differ from what some want in a faith community, we will not suit everyone. We do not try to be all things to all people. We simply try to be who we feel our God has called us to be. We are led by the Spirit as the Spirit leads us, A, personally, B, through our leadership team, and C, through our overall group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants, have spiritual weakness, and are on a path of growth and awakening, just like us. At this Q meeting, we adhere to a policy of no crosstalk. Crosstalk is defined as speaking directly to another person rather than the group, questioning or interrupting the person speaking at the time, or, or offering any form of advice to others. Instead, we ask that you share from your own experience, strength, and hope, or wherever you're at today. So that's the value statement. So sharing that at the beginning of each meeting, I will find that my mind and my heart are drawn to different things at different times. So it helps to be reminded, you know, one thing may stand out to you this first time that you've heard it, but if you listen to this episode a week from now, maybe something totally different would stand out to you. So it really holds the frame, which I think is so important to the meeting. So if you set that, then the job is to honor that. Same thing if you decide meetings are going to be an hour. If the structure is meetings are one hour, which is like a Q meeting is one hour or recovery meetings, then just stick to that hold the frame and stick to that hour. We all know what it's like to be part of a meeting that just goes on and on and on and on. It doesn't matter what good stuff is happening. It really helps us to know that we're going to respect one another's time and respect what we've agreed to in terms of gathering. So that's super important. Next, practice. So if we are gathering around something hard, which is what we talked about last time. Usually this amazing thing happens when we're trying to do something really hard and we're compelled, we're like drawn towards it and we want it, but then we're repelled, like we're scared and something in us is defending against it. So whatever the hard thing is that you're trying to do, I know this seems obvious, but you have to do it. (laughs) Okay. So I've been leading Q meetings for eight years now And there are still a lot of people that have attended for years that have never done the steps, right? Never done the Q steps. That's a problem, right? That's a huge problem because if we're believing that the steps are how we recover as part of recovering our true self, and then we're at Q, we're also studying the teachings of Jesus, um, we need to do both, right? And so um, it doesn't matter what it is that you're trying to do. I don't think that everybody has to do the Q steps. Um, I'm, I'm just interested in people gathering for any reason. At this point, I just see people getting more and more isolated in my culture. And I just see how when we enter into our 30s, 40s, and 50s, people are all kind of trapped in their houses. And the only little community they have is maybe their partner and their children. And I don't think that's actually working. Um, So whatever 
whatever reason you want to gather, I am stoked about that. Like my friend was asking me recently, Lainey, she said, what's the point of your podcast? Like, are you driving them towards your book? Are you driving them towards starting Q meetings or something? Like, what's the point? Which is a great question, right? We're always asking that. Like, what's your motive? Why are you doing this? And I thought about it, which then I kind of laughed because I was like, I probably should have figured this out. (laughs) I probably should have figured this out before episode five. Um, But uh, I think that part of it for me is I want to share what I've learned. There's something about doing it in counseling one by one that doesn't feel as effective. And so if I could help more people learn these things in a different way, that's really exciting to me. Um, But the second thing is that I think that if what I really, really hope for happened as a result of this, it would be that people gather and it would be that people start experiencing this, what happens in the group, what happens in meetings. And I think that that would really cut through this um, loneliness that is epidemic in our culture. Um, And I think that there would be something happening like what's happening in the recovery movement, but just in a broader way for people, whether they have identifiable addictions or not. So I think that can still happen, even if it's not Q meetings. So the reason I direct people to Q meetings at the end of the show is just because that's already set up for people. So especially if people have a faith background and they want to do something kind of faith oriented, but that's also aligned with the 12 step movement, it's super easy. You just print off the documents, you invite some people, you practice this stuff, not too hard. I mean, Okay, listen, it's hard. (laughs) I mean, a lot of stuff is going to get in your way that'll make you not want to do this. Um, So it is, but it's like simple. You know, it's that whole thing, simple, but not easy. So that's why I like that because when I was looking for this, it didn't exist. And I would have loved if there was just a website and some documents and some other people doing it that we could talk to and we could be in it together. Um, But if that's not a fit for you, like if you're part of a group of psychologists and you want to have a positive way of growing together in a group. Um, If you are a pastor and you want to have a group that way, um, if you're somebody in your business that you just want to be more real and authentic with other um, workers that work there or leaders, um, I think that's fantastic. I would be thrilled if these principles that I'm talking about could apply in many different contexts. So um, yeah, I don't have this great master plan to have all these Q groups everywhere. In fact, if that actually happens, it kind of terrifies me. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like if all of a sudden there was Q groups everywhere and Lord only knows what they'd be doing. And like, I I don't even know how, what I would do. So it's all in the great spirit's hands. Um, but really my main goal is helping people to gather in a way that they can, uh, come out of their shells and be who they really are and be safe enough to do that and experience the healing of what happens when everybody does that together. Okay. So practice whatever you're trying to do. If you are practicing recovery, do the steps, have a sponsor, then you have something to talk about in the meetings. If you're just gathering, but you're not doing the hard thing, it's probably not going to work. Next, uh, respect. So respect is about the no crosstalk rule. Um, So there has to be a way that we respect what is happening for people when they try to open up and be more vulnerable. And for me, 
you know, I've been trying to be my authentic self in so many situations and I still get freaked out all the time and get anxiety. It's still hard for me. So I just like when people tread gently if I'm trying to do that. And I'm sure that you feel the same. So I really like the no crosstalk rule, which is what I read in the value statement. Um, there's only one situation I can think of where I've experienced uh, this kind of transformative group intimacy in a really, really safe way where there was people saying things from the group. So I'll give you kind of two examples. So one group that I was in that it didn't work is I go to this event um, that has a couple of days where you're with somebody who is really as successful as a speaker, author, does all these kinds of things. And um, he really likes the group to participate. So you'll go up there if you're um, struggling with your project, whatever it is, your podcast, your book, whatever, and he will be there with you and he will help you work through wherever you're stuck. But he allows other people in that larger group, which is about 35 people, to also comment and to say things and to give ideas. And I get why he's doing it because there is power in the group, right? Sometimes we will think of things or know things that could be helpful to the other person. It's not only the leader. Um, but why it doesn't work very well is because lots of people say things that are unhelpful and that are advice giving and they're trying to fix it and jump in and kind of it blocks the person. And so actually um, they shut down a little bit. So it's kind of like it's 50-50, but I, I personally wouldn't recommend it. He can do that if that's working for him, but I would just say that it could be better in a different kind of a way. So the good way that I've experienced that, if you want to be part of something where the group actually contributes to what's happening for the person, when I've experienced that working is with a friend of mine named Dan Hines, and he has studied with Parker Palmer. And there are these uh, circles of trust that he forms in his retreats. And um, they're also known, I think, as wisdom circles. And basically, it's I think it's from the Quaker tradition, but it's where the person in the middle is trying to discern something, and then other people in the group help them discern. And how they help them discern is not by just shouting out things and like the you know the person who talks the most giving a bunch of unwanted advice um, is through questions. And so the group will ask questions to the person in the middle. And then they'll be recording every single thing the person is saying in their answers. And then the person in the middle gets all the notes after. And so they get to read what they said and kind of hear themselves talk. And so in order to do that well, in a way that is safe, um, what Dan will do at his retreats, and I, from what I remember, I've done this a couple of times, but it's been a while. So I think it takes like half a day. Like I think it, I think it takes like three hours or something from we will start at like nine in the morning and it ends at noon or something but this whole three hour time is learning how to ask open questions so you would think that it's easier than it is but it's not because we're usually driving at something we when we ask a question usually think that we already know the answer to that question and we're helping the other person to say what we think the answer is and so we're kind of um we have an agenda and we're kind of driving towards something so a truly open question is when you don't know the answer to it and you're really curious but you think it may help the other person to explore that and so we practice with dan who's the leader 
asking him open questions. And what's so cool is Dan does exactly what I said in terms of modeling. He picks a real problem that he's going through. So he really shares with us something that he's trying to discern that he's really stuck on. And he's very honest about it. And then we get to ask him questions. And when we ask, he'll be really honest about like, no, that doesn't feel like an open question or no, I'm going to pass on that. Now, even if it is an open question, the person doesn't have to answer. They can pass and not do it. But that's a way that I've seen the group be able to contribute to the person that's discerning or speaking. So it doesn't mean we always have to be quiet, but I would just say that's pretty complicated. So if you don't really want to go that route, then I would just stick with the no crosstalk rule. Everybody gets share. It's three minute shares. And then thank you for your share. Next person, would you like to share? That's the easiest way to do it. The other thing is, is if you have a no crosstalk rule, whoever the facilitator is that day, they're going to have to interrupt somebody if they crosstalk. So if one person is sharing and then somebody after the share tries to offer a piece of advice, this has only happened to me maybe like two or three times um, in like eight years. So it doesn't happen very often, but just you'll have to prepare yourself that it may happen, especially with a new group or a newcomer is you might have to say, oh, actually that's crosstalk and we don't do that at this meeting. Um, So if you want to talk to the person after you can. Okay, next person, would you like to share? So that's a way that you can gently do it, but I've just seen where you have a no crosstalk rule and somebody starts crosstalking and then it's like, what do you do? You have to be brave enough to interrupt that. All right, next, contribution. So what I love about recovery meetings is everybody kind of participates and helps and there's this value of service. So what you can do is um, you can have these sheets printed out of whatever you want, like your value statement, whatever you want people to read. If there's a closing statement, a closing prayer, whatever the things are that are part of your structure of your meeting. And even if it's setting up chairs, even if it's putting the coffee on, I would just say get people involved. So it's so different than a typical meeting where the leader does everything, right? Like if I'm going to go give a talk somewhere, I plan the talk, I bring the computer, I set up the speakers, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I ask for help from the sound person, but it's kind of all on me, right? And then people show up and they just passively listen, right? That's kind of what we're doing here. And I don't mind that here because other people have done this service for me. So other people have done podcasts for me that have really, really helped me by giving a talk. And so I don't mind doing that here for the podcast, but I would say that if it was a meeting, it would be really different. So I probably would try not to chair the meeting very often. I might do it for the first or second meeting, but after that, the chairperson, which is the facilitator or the leader that asks people to share and asks for the next reading, I'd usually get somebody else to do that. I would usually ask people right from the beginning, can you read this? Would you mind reading this? Could you do this closing reading? Could you do this prayer? Whatever the thing is. Um, Because that's what happened to me when I was first involved in recovery. And I remember being surprised going, wow, this is totally not what I expected because I'm new. Like, what do I have to contribute? And just getting to contribute by doing a reading makes people feel different. We all want to give something back. And so let them, right? Service is part of what makes us well. So get other people involved. Okay. Birds and turtles. I just thought that was a fun way to say there's like the talkers and there's the quiet people, right? I'm a bird, blah, 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 right? We're like 34 minutes in. I think you figured that out. Okay. So, um, I would say that the people who talk the most need to learn how to listen. 
Uh, they don't have to fill the space with talking, which is often how talkers cope with anxiety. Um, the listeners have something to contribute and share. We need to hear from them. The very best thing you could hear might be from somebody who would never speak up unless they were called upon. So try to make it so that everybody can share. So ideally, people sit in a circle. We can all see each other. Um, if your meeting gets too big, they can form another layer around that circle if you need to, and people can set up their chairs around that. Um, and then when the person's called upon to share, they do their three minutes, and then they go on to the next person. People are always allowed to pass, but they're invited to share. And if you have trouble with people sharing too long, you can have a spiritual timekeeper. So you ask that person to be the spiritual timekeeper at the beginning of the meeting. You say, could we have somebody volunteer to be the spiritual timekeeper? Yes. Okay, Karen, great. They get out their iPhone. They set their timer for two and a half minutes, and then there's like another 30 seconds, or they set it for three minutes and they watch for when it says 30 seconds. But at the 30-second mark, we say, the spiritual timekeeper will say, gentle reminder. That's it. And it reminds us that, oh, okay, we've hit that, you know, two and a half minute mark. We're going to wrap up our share in the next 30 seconds. And the person speaking just says, thank you. You know, so you can even practice that with people at the beginning of their group so that they know that that's going to happen. I was in a room with, I think, 25 speakers, authors, really smart people that have a lot to say. And we were having a really big conversation about racism in the United States of America and how it affects like everything in the church and et cetera. You can imagine people had a lot to say, right? Um, the only way that conversation was going to be facilitated in a way that people could each have a voice was I chose to be the spiritual timekeeper. And everybody had a chance to share. And it was so much more powerful than just the main loudest person in the room dominating the conversation. Last thing is the magic word. You made it to the magic word. Are you excited to see what it is? I'm excited to tell you. I was going to come up with something kind of kooky. Like I really thought maybe if I could say like gintimacy or something. <laughs> okay. I know that's not really cool, but I was, <laughs> it'd be better to like come up with something random, but the magic word is commitment. It's not gintimacy. We're still going to call it group intimacy or koinonia. Um, I think gintimacy might bother some people, so um, you might not like it as much as me. But the magic word is commitment. So I think if you don't have commitment, this won't work, whatever you're trying to do. So establish that at the beginning. If it's four weeks and you're going to show up and unless someone's sick or in the hospital, you're going to really try to be there for each other, great. You might have heard in our value statement, commitment is one of our values, not just for our own recovery, but because I might be doing okay today and somebody else needs me to show up for them, right? So uh, it doesn't work if people don't show up. And like I said before, if people are in and out and flaky and this and that, it really affects the morale and like the willingness to do this together. So just figure out what that is at the beginning. My daughters and I have a level 10 mummy daughter night on Wednesday nights. So level 10 meeting is, um, which I took from my friends, um, business, but they have level 10 meetings unless you're in the hospital or you have booked vacation, you have to be there. And so we have a level 10 mummy daughter night and I have to be there and be present. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't 
lots of stuff can get in the way of this, right? You will experience this in your recovery. So much can get in the way. So establishing what the commitment is and how people are going to stick to it, even if it's a pop-up meeting and it's only four weeks, I think that's critical to all of this working. So I'm excited to see where this goes in your life. This may be something that you want to try in your business. I actually have been thinking about Would this be something that would benefit living well? My counselors, if we did something like this together for a period of time. Um, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. So the question this week is like, what's happening inside of you? Like, what is coming up for you? What is your mind doing? What is your heart doing? Uh, Maybe it's not doing anything, which is okay too. You know, we can keep traveling along and seeing what comes up. Um, But I'm curious and I don't want to get in the way of that for you. So just let it go where it's going and uh, we'll meet again next week. Thanks for being here. Well, I hope you heard something today that keeps you coming back. In closing, I want to remind you, like any good sponsor would, that to keep it, we have to give it away. If I want to stay well, I have to get outside of myself, and the same goes for you. So, who do you know that needs this? Pass it on. Another way to carry the message is to host a meeting. It's easy, it only takes an hour, and in 12-step, if you can read, you can lead. For more info on that, go to qfaithcommunity.com. Thank you for letting me share with you today and thank you for helping in my recovery. Let's do this together one day at a time. Yeah, we're in this together now.